Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan, end of August edition, sort of the dog days, although we have a little bit to discuss here before we get into more of these great mailbag questions that all of our listeners were kind enough to send on Twitter. But what do you want to talk about first here in terms of what's happened over the last couple of weeks? Well, I think the RJ Barrett slash Donovan Mitchell situation is definitely the most interesting topic, right? Uh, that has kind of, I think, the most league-wide ramp. Yeah, what were your initial thoughts hearing that Barrett has agreed to an extension? You probably actually know this better than I do, but I think it's you know 107 guaranteed could be worth up to 120 over four years. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, I, I believe that's about correct. I, I haven't actually seen the uh, you know all the all the fine print on it. I. I do generally think extensions for players in this year's class are going to turn out to be good value as long as they are at least somewhat within reason. I mean, obviously don't, you know, don't go max Goga Batadze or anything, but, um, you know, for a, for a starting caliber player, I think 25 million, you know, the way the cap is going is going to seem like, eh, you know, so I, I, I just don't see a ton of downside risk in that for the Knicks. Even if you think RJ Barrett isn't what your idea is of a $25 million player, I think that that $25 million player in your head is actually going to be like a $40 million player uh, as we get a few years down the line and into the new TV money. So uh, didn't have a problem with the Knicks agreeing to the extension. Poison pill is in place, but actually still plausible for them to put Barrett in a Donovan Mitchell trade at that number. Well, well let's uh, let's let's hold off on, on okay. the, the trade part first. I, I just talk, let's talk about the deal, um, you know, and, and just what RJ Barrett is. I mean, I guess like he's a little bit of an interesting fit right I, I mean he has I, i've been impressed by his rate of improvement but i also was way lower on him i think than most people coming out of school like he certainly has added a, a lot of skills to his bag but you know he and julius randall this is a great stat that those two guys had the 39th and 40th lowest true shooting percentages out of the 40 players who averaged 20 points a game last <laughs> season also i think just simply the fact that 40 players averaged 20 points a game last season is, is a good one to know particularly when guys don't even play as many minutes uh, anymore to just get an idea of just like oh he averaged 20 points a game like oh, okay you know uh, how useful is that um but I, I guess what I'm thinking about here for the Knicks in the long term is, A, is this just a good asset to get him on? And B, how does he fit in with the team that we expect to have Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell and probably is always going to have some big center who doesn't shoot? You know, So he's basically going to be a three now. How does he fit in there within the context of being paid? I guess what we would call like premium starter money going forward. 
I think his fit is dependent on his continued improvement. I mean, he's 22, so there's still like quite a bit of ramp up theoretically. He, he could still get considerably better. Um, and you could see ways he could, right? If he improves his right hand, improves as a jump shooter, uh, he's never going to be an explosive finisher, I don't think. But he has a lot of the other elements to become, what, the second, third best player on a good team? Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that they're just not necessarily set up for that. But I think at this price, Barrett might have more utility to maybe not the Utah Jazz, but a team like, say, let's say the Brooklyn Nets, a team that wants a return like the Brooklyn Nets for that next star, right? Fred Katz has been really hammering on this, and I think it's a great point that this Mitchell trade isn't even so much about Mitchell because they're not going to be a championship contender or maybe even a home court advantage contender in the East with him. It's about then getting one more guy as well to pair with donovan mitchell and i think that in rj barrett making 25 million a year probably you know one or two years from now in particular that that's fine and yeah barrett is not the cleanest fit in the world with uh, mitchell and brunson and obviously we haven't even talked about julius randall yet but you, you think he's probably gonna fade away into the ether in some way or another exactly but and then there is still that upside. Like, I think that there's it's pretty low, but he is a good ball handler. He can, can pass a little bit. The shot is getting better. I just, I don't necessarily see him as quite a good enough shooter or defender to really be like that prominent 3 and D type of role player. But even as someone who is a solid defender, can make a shot and can dribble, like, he's probably not a guy who's... You know, you want the ball in his hands when he's fully formed on a really good offense, but it's still a guy who's going to have value at that number and who is probably going to continue to improve because he is a relentless worker. So I, I think all in all, I do think that this is, if not going to be an asset, it's not going to be a movable. And there still is value if he blows up in a way that I and, or, or and I guess probably you as well don't necessarily expect, but it is possible that that happens. And so I guess that now takes us to what you're starting to get into with Utah, where uh, how did this affect the, I guess I'll just let you examine that aspect since you're going to start to anyway. Well, yeah, it's really like the, the reporting on this was, I guess, a little fuzzy as to how exactly it affects the Mitchell stuff and was there, you know, some kind of ultimatum from the Knicks or whatever to take their proposal or they do an extension. But like the extension doesn't necessarily eliminate putting him in the deal. Uh, it, it was, it's tough. You know, it's funny on the team side, like anytime we see details like this leak out, we're always trying to figure out who leaked what and why and what is, what is really happening behind the scenes. Like, you know, when they say like, because a lot of times when it leaks out, like Team X is, you know, looking for a first round pick for so-and-so, what what they're really saying is Team X is shopping so-and-so, right? <laughs> and and if you're a moron, you'll give a first round pick, but he's, he's available for some price less than that. Um, and so trying to read between the lines on on uh, on a lot of this stuff, it it's it sounds to me like maybe Utah wasn't that crazy about having Barrett in the deal anyway. And the thing they really wanted was all the first round picks and that the Knicks were trying to push the idea that the Utah should take Barrett and maybe like a first round pick and that and that that should be good. And, yeah, Seth, and that that's Seth where the impasse well was. Twitter. Seth put it well on Twitter. He's like, well, if you don't uh, if we don't do the trade now, we're going to extend the guy you didn't want in the deal anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, 
I, I still think that, I guess, I, I, I still think the Mitchell stuff is very much on the table and this doesn't really necessarily impact it because Utah's, Utah's endgame is still to get picks. And the, the only way it impacts it is if the Knicks don't think they can turn Barrett either via trade or via development into that, you know, third guy that Fred Katz was talking about to have next to uh, next to Mitchell and Brunson. Yeah, I, I think so. And just so people know the math, the poison pill, once a player gets a rookie scale contract extension, he counts as outgoing salary for the Knicks as $10 million, but incoming salary for the Jazz at the average of the last year on his rookie deal and then all the years of the extension. So I think it would be about $25 million on the coming into the Jazz, only $10 million back for New York. And so you have to find a way to equalize that. One would be to make the deal so big that you can still fit within that 125%, even though Barrett has a $15 million difference. The other way to do it would be to offload another guy, say for the Knicks, uh, with Evan Fournier going to, or, or Randall going to a cap space team, and then you bump up where the Jazz aren't necessarily getting as much back, but uh, the Knicks still have enough outgoing salary in the deal to take back Donovan Mitchell. So it wouldn't preclude it. It does make it a lot harder. The odds of Barrett now being in a Utah deal, I would say, are exceedingly low, but I also don't think he made sense for Utah to begin with. So it's just, it's not a surprise in the end that. This happened. The other thing that's kind of interesting, though, to me, unless you have anything more on the Utah portion, no, let's of keep this, going. Is so to see a non-max deal agreed to around this time. You know that that's a, yes. this is actually I'm the Knicks got a good deal here. Like I'm a little bit surprised. I'm not saying this is a bad deal for Barrett because I think especially with things in flux, like, yeah, go ahead and get your life-changing money now. And, uh, hey, you can also be the first Knicks draft pick to re-sign on, a long, uh, on an extension. The you curse know, of Charlie uh, Ward is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless he gets traded uh, before the extension kicks in. That could be the one the one thing where maybe it doesn't count. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought just from a negotiation aspect, that was interesting. How does him agreeing to this? You know, there's some other extension candidates like uh hero and pool that he might set the market for um i think my thought would be that the league would value barrett more than hero or pool would you agree on that uh i'm not a hundred percent sure i'm not i'm just not sure where yeah, everyone me is neither. On, on these guys i i actually yeah. i actually don't honestly know the answer to that question um it could end up that they both end up with very similar deals uh, to yeah. to the one that that Barrett signed, it could end up setting the market that way. I, I don't it, yeah. like I I don't know if you really feel good about giving either of those guys a a max certainly. And so the only yeah. question is like, is Tyler Hero going to be going to say, well, I think I can get a max next summer, so I'm just not going to sign this. Yeah, possibly. I, I think, but like you know, both both Pool and Hero are like a little sixth manny with their defense, and you know, not being quite natural point guards. So I think Pool yes. is a little bit more in that vein. So you know, playing as shooting guard, they're a defensive liability. It's kind of hard to play them next to another point guard because most point guards are also defensive liabilities. So you worry about the fit there where Barrett he's actually on another team besides the Knicks he probably would be a cleaner fit just to play shooting guard where at shooting guard I think his defense is an asset at the three a little more dicey about whether you really want him guarding the best guys Mm -hmm. uh and you know for a team that had better spacing and wanted to give him the ball you know I I think he's just sort of a a little bit cleaner of a fit positionally and just has more size like he's not considered a defensive liability he just sort of seems more startery so I 
Yeah, I, I think it's eye of the beholder. Uh, certainly Poole and Hero, I would say, are better offensive players, but Barrett is just kind of a cleaner fit in a starting lineup for a lot of teams. So it's uh, it's an interesting call, but I wouldn't, I don't think it's clear that those guys should get paid more than Barrett uh, by any means. Exactly. That's, that, I, I think you pretty much summed it up there. It's, it's going to be interesting, though, because the, the way the salary cap is going really favors like if you're if you're on the team side just just lock the guy up you're probably going to end up coming out ahead yeah yeah i mean the knicks did well to not get a player option here either i, I would say absolutely and, and i'm sure the incentives are of the ilk where if he hits them you're happy to pay it G- generally i mean they can only be 15 percent of the deal and right. g- generally it what we've seen historically in deals like this that the incentives tend to be lower probability things. You know, if he yeah, makes the all star team, the Knicks make the yeah. second round of the playoffs, you know. I remember after college, before I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life, my buddy and I went to Hilton Head, South Carolina to work some summer jobs and hang out. We had a great time, except for his car. His car was awful. We called it the POS. It was like a 91 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. We're allowed to talk about Oldsmobile now that it's a defunct brand, right? Is that okay? This thing had the turning radius of a World War I battleship, broke down all the time, just a, a miserable vehicle to drive. And when customers are rushing to your store, you want a point of sale system that you can trust, not a real POS like my buddy's car. You need Shopify for retail. It makes it easy to accept payments, manage orders, and build relationships with customers. You can sell in person, backed by everything that you need to sell online, track every sale across your business in one place, know exactly what's in stock, connect with customers in line and online. You can drive in-person store traffic with plug-and-play tools for marketing campaigns on social media. Get great hardware that fits your business, accept credit cards, mobile payments, every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, their award-winning help is there to support you every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PER. All lowercase. Easy to remember slash PER because John invented PER. Go to shopify.com slash PER to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash PER. The next thing we can move to is the news that Chet Holmgren will miss the season with a Liz Frank injury in his right foot. Suffered in the Seattle Pro-Am where Jamal Crawford did this great job getting all these guys to show up there. It was going to be awesome. And then later after this, uh, the floor got slippery and they had to cancel the game. It's uh, It doesn't appear that the condition of the floor had anything to do with this injury, like seeing the mechanism and, and some of the medical professionals uh, breaking it down. I don't think there's any indication there, but just generally, can you talk a little bit from the team side of like your reaction of him getting injured in this like pro-am setting? Yeah, you don't, you generally don't like to see your players in like, you know, it's tough because they go and get, get, get these off season runs in and they, they, they need to do this and you'd prefer it was in your own gym and in a more controlled environment, but you can't always, you can't always have that, especially, uh, if you're not, you know, one of the four or five cities where players tend to flock to in the off season, right? Like in the, in the off season, most of our guys did not stay in Memphis. Uh, they went to LA or Miami or Vegas or whatever other insufferably hot place that players like to go to in the summer. Um, and so you, you know that this is happening. 
happening and you just kind of want to have as much control over it as you can. But, you know, some of these players too have an exhibit in their contracts that lets them essentially play in these games without the team's supervision. It's called the love of the game clause, basically. And so... It prevents a team from from blocking a player from participating in an event like this. And a lot of the better players have that in their contracts. So I, I don't know that the that OKC had any remedy to, to stop him from playing that in the first place. Um, no, they didn't. I mean, Sam Presti was very clear on that, that he was yeah. permitted to play. Yeah. And and I'm assuming these other guys that were playing there, it was, it was the same thing. So uh, I, like, I, I don't think this threatens pro-ams, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, there is a real distinction because they don't charge admission. Uh, that's why these players are allowed to go. If, 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 if admission had been charged, that's a completely different story and they could totally get fined. Yeah, that makes sense because you don't want other people making money off of this because that's uh that's yeah. what uh the nba is for but yeah i mean it seems like this is the first guy i can remember getting injured in one of these things uh, it's maybe they're playing a little bit harder because this is a bigger deal you know it doesn't seem like in like the drew league that they're playing like all that hard you know you're not yeah. getting guys knocked down going for layups particularly with the pros i mean i i remember i played in a league like that in tucson arizona so much much lower level um but you know i i was on this team and like some of the guy the u of a guys who are like in the nba or playing at over pro overseas would come back like you know son adams and and uh gene edgerson and stuff like that would come back and there's a little admonition before and like hey these guys have real careers like don't come in here trying to be a hero taking a charge on the guy trying yeah. to go up for a dunk you know hassan adams going up for an alley-oop like you know don't knock him down type of shit right like so yeah uh i, I think there, there's an understanding of kind of what this is that this is an exhibition and like hey you know you're a lot more likely to get hurt playing for your national team or you know oh absolutely yeah yeah no that's a that's a great point i mean that was the one that always freaked us out i mean obviously we had marcus gasol playing for spain we had other guys with other national teams uh as well and that's the one we worried about much more because it was it was much harder for players to modulate their effort to, depending on on how they felt and whatever because it they can, they can go through these pro on games at, at 60%, right? And it's it's totally fine. But these national team games kind of demand 100% out of you and you haven't you haven't you ramp up really quickly and all of a sudden they're playing you a lot of minutes. It's and they and they don't have the players long-term interests really in mind on the national team side because it's a two-week tournament, right? So that w- that was the one that always scared us much more than any of these pro ams. Yeah. Or, I mean, you can get hurt you know, playing in Rico Hines' game in UCLA or whatever, too, right? And or, Gary yeah, Harris yeah. just hurt yeah, just his meniscus. Clay, doing Clay whatever, Thompson right? working out by himself the day of the draft, right? Yeah, well, I, I think he was playing five on five, but yeah, I think. Oh, not, okay. Not supervised, by, by the way. But that, you know, that was also been more of a rehab situation, too. That wasn't the case with Chet. But let's turn now just to the implications of this injury for Chet and for the Thunder. Yeah, um, the implications for the Thunder, bizarrely, may actually be better long-term because they're going to probably get another high draft pick out of this year now. Uh, I mean, they might have anyway, but now they're going to get a really, you know, they're probably going to have one of the three worst records in the league, you got to think. And this is a great draft coming up. Unfortunately, you lose a year of development with Holmgren and you start worrying more about the injury cycle. It's funny because everyone worried about him with injuries with his body and 
I don't think they were worried about Liz Frank injuries in his foot when they were saying that, right? Uh, yeah. But the history is that one of the risks of drafting players who are over seven feet tall is you, is you do run into this where the injury rate is higher with those types of players. That said, that's no, true. Yeah. That said, most of the best basketball players in history have also been really tall. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> choose choose your poison, right? So, I, I, I can't really blame them. I don't think this is people who who thought Holmgren would get hurt because he was really skinny. This is not an I told you so moment, right? Like Joel Embiid didn't crack him in half over his knee or something. That that that's what people were looking at with him and wondering if he'd hold up physically. They were they were worried about him having a having a ligament go out in his foot when he went up to contest a shot. That that was the last thing on anyone's mind. So a little little freakish that way. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, just uh, I mean, just a bad break. Like that that's basically all you can file it under yeah i think so I mean, there are some who are like well he's really thin so that means that he's weaker and that's why he hurt himself and then there's other people like well he actually doesn't weigh that much so it's less pounding on a that like, I don't, see I that's don't think anyone really knows the answer that, to this. i mean that's kind of where i came down that the fact that he was so thin actually might help because it's less load on his knees and and lower extremities which is where most most big guys you know the pounding on those body parts uh t- tends to really uh, that that tends to be the biggest injury mechanism for them, and so I I actually was more positive about him being skinny than I than I think some other people were. But uh, obviously this is a this is a big uh, blow for the Thunder. Yeah, the a, a few things on this foot injuries hopefully are not the death knell that they used to be. It's, Yao obviously they felled him. He's a, even a, a whole other level of freakishly tall beyond where Chet is. But Joel and was able to come you back. talk yeah. you talk about uh, abuse by a national team <laughs> what's next <laughs> tell me the chinese communist party doesn't care about their their uh their citizens <laughs> uh but yeah yeah that was uh the, the olympics in particular was just yes. completely ridiculous yes for yeah. yao in 2008 so I, I think though since him you know brooke lopez has been able to come back now these are just generally foot injuries right uh, mm-hmm. joel has been okay tj warren actually has been having some problems with his foot let's see what's up with him mm-hmm. he, he's basically missed two years now with his yeah. issue but yeah so it can happen i think we're getting better at these overall this liz frank injury more commonly seen in football we don't really have a huge history the only one that jeff stotts had in his database was udonis haslam and some people would say he was never the same he didn't really contribute as much i i would say after that although he saved the heat in 2011 but really wasn't you know, a, a star level of player after that uh, relatively early on in his career but you know still would play uh, for 97 more years after that anyway yes um so so i don't i don't know what to make of it with this injury specifically but the history the other thing you point to is the history of these high picks who just missed their first year entirely and you know michael porter jr still pretty damn good right joel missed two years still pretty damn good break blake griffin still pretty damn good greg odin probably even the one year that he was healthy didn't look maybe like that absolute generational guy uh but yeah. microfracture is a different thing like that's not even the standard of care anymore uh so so, and, and Chet didn't have any injury history before this. So I think if he was going to be good before, he's going to be good now. I don't think this is like massively terrible for him long-term. And maybe he can also, without having to go through 82 games, can put a little bit more weight on. Uh, although, again, I don't think his frame's going to hold that much. 
Yeah. And unfortunately, it is a Liz Frank injury and not a Liz Fair injury. So we can't say he is exiled on Guyville for this season. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Uh, and, and OKC, like for them, like usually you wouldn't say that a rookie getting injured is going to hurt your fortunes too much, but they are extremely thin in the front court. I think it's more just they're no going to be less watchable now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and we'll have to wait another year for the thin towers. And Poku may not yeah. even be on the team at that point uh, as well right. we saw it briefly actually yeah i think we saw it like very briefly in summer league uh, in in the utah summer league hot off the press from maybelline new york it's new lifter plump an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts from eight sizzling shades like blush blaze red flag hot honey cocoa zing and more an extra large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lift or Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. All right, you want to talk some of these mailbag questions here? Yeah, sure. Let's get to it. All right, I've been champing at the bit to do this one. Okay. Rank these teams in terms of their young cores. I think we've talked about this before, but maybe not since this draft. And so I, I guess maybe I'll even expand it beyond just rank their young cores to just whose rebuild do you think is going to be the best? We had these four teams that the last two years basically have been in the wilderness trying to get draft picks, but some different approaches. And that's Houston, Detroit, Orlando, and OKC. Let's rank those teams one to four in terms of who we think is going to have the best result ultimately from this rebuild well are we ranking what they have right now or what we think they're going to end up with let's start with what they have right now but i think we can also eventually discuss well which of these organizations we think is better and is going to figure it out i think that's a part of this but i think just in terms of the talent that they have available right now and how it would eventually develop. I think that's step one here, at least. Okay, I'm going to go... This is a, a, I actually think Detroit is the closest to having three building block guys that they can really go forward with. I just don't know if any of them is going to be that alpha guy. But I like Ivy, I like Duran and Cade Cunningham. I think maybe he tops out as a number two guy on a good team rather than number one guy. But like that, that Cunningham, Ivy, Duran to me is like... Th- that could be the core of something pretty good for for a while, and and that could hit pretty soon, I think. Um, yeah, and 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 Bay and Stewart, I think, are uh, could be solid start. I think, I, if memory serves, I'm higher on Stewart than you are, but. Uh, but yeah, I think that, yeah, that, but they kind of only have maybe five guys, whereas maybe some of these teams have more. I guess maybe we could drill down a little bit more since you brought up Cade. I'm higher on Cade than you. Who is the best prospect on any of these teams, these four teams? On any of these four teams. Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, that's, that's probably, I mean, it's, that's reductive, but, and you might just say, hey, whichever of these teams has like a superstar, that's the one that's going to be the best. Between these teams. Yeah, so we, so we got Shea and OKC. I don't think anyone else... I mean, maybe you could put Chet in there for OKC, although I don't think either of us see him as like a future super superstar. Yeah. So I think we, we'll leave him out of it for now. You got Jalen Green and Jabari in Houston. You got Cade, maybe Ivy if you like Ivy in Detroit. And then you probably got Paolo in... And I guess and maybe you throw in Franz in, in yeah. Orlando. I mean, to me, though, it would come down to Paolo... Cade, Shea, and Jalen Green. Those are probably the four that I would, yeah. I would break it down I would, to. I would, I would go with that as my final four as well. I mean, Cade has proven the most, right? 
Uh, well, Shay has proven. Uh, I, Shay yeah, Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, I just think he like we know what he is now, right? Is it is he really going to take another step from here? Well, I, I guess I'm not sure I know what he is because he shot 40% from three two years ago and 30% from three last year. Okay, okay. Uh, and and also like, is he ever going to play any defense at all? Like that'll be an interesting question. Like, because he if he could actually like really be a point guard at that size and be like at least a quality defender, like that really helps you uh, as well. And I mean, he led the NBA in drives last year. Like, I think there's and, and he did it on a team that was just so terrible. I mean, the shooting around him in the last two years has been so pathetic like i i actually i want to see and that's actually kind of why i'm sad that chet's not playing this year i wanted to see what his spacing could do for some of these guys uh and and what the what he looks like on a real team you know playing more than half the season when they're actually going to be trying and stuff yeah. so i'm i mean I, I understand he's older than some of these guys but I, I could easily see him being the best of all the players i think that's uh that's totally realistic to me i think that would be a disappointing outcome for these for this pool of drafted guys if if none of them turned out to be okay. better than Shea. Fair. But fair. But I, I, I think he, Shea also has some upside to explore. I think he could be Okay. Like like could Shea I think Shea could easily be better than like Donovan Mitchell or something like that. Like I think we could be certainly be talking about him as sort of like in that group of scoring guard, you know, who's where, like where, in the mix for third team all NBA. Okay. Like, yeah. That, that I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Like, can he be yeah. like the thirteenth best player in the league? Yeah, yeah, he could probably do that. Okay. Um okay. Jalen so, Green's yeah. a really interesting one because his upside is I think just with his yeah. physical tools there's a lot of upside there uh skill yeah. level basketball iq all that still needs to come around was still like a, a pretty strongly negative player last season but we've seen it with other guys where just when when you have those tools like they can they can ramp up pretty fast and we saw it toward the end of last year i thought so yeah really i think he had five straight 30 point games towards the end uh yes. which again you know you don't want to overrate what's happening on a team like that at the end but you know there's there's been a lot of guys playing on a lot of bad teams and i i mean i think he's the first guy to do that since iverson yeah as a rookie yeah so i i actually think this this core in houston is kind of interesting with green smith shangoon uh porter i uh, yeah (laughs) between (laughs) between the way he plays and and all the off-court stuff like i'm I'm still not sure he's really the guy you go for. i mean i think he's ultimately a, a sixth man you know like his yeah. extension negotiations will be interesting. I'm not sure what he'll he'll be willing to take. You know, if he's hoping to get paid 20 million a year, like no. But I think if you're if you can pay him at like you know Jordan Clarkson style of money, I would keep him around. I think for something like yes. that. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, some, but these, I think he's yeah. Some of these secondary guys are pretty interesting on Houston too. Uh, when you get like I said, Shangun, Tari Eason. Uh, I kind of like Ty Ty Washington. Uh, so yeah. we'll we'll see how that all evolves. You know, J- Josh Christopher had some moments last year. Usman Garuba. He can defend if he could yeah. uh, if he can make a layup then you know, maybe, <laughs> or, or a corner three maybe there's yeah there's something okay for okay there's there's at least some hope there so yeah so we'll see well well so, so we got sidetracked here what let's make our final call on like who's the best of those of those four guys so uh, I'm gonna go ooh, I it think really I'm gonna could go be K- any one of them. I it could be any one of them no. I'm gonna go with Cade um, but it could 
it could be any one of them. I yeah. I I, 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 would go I don't Cade say too. this with any conviction. Yeah. Yeah, I would go Cade as well. Uh just because he's to me the guy he is going to have no weaknesses. I mean, which is just so nice for building a team and I think he took some big strides this year. Uh, you know, the position that he plays, he defends, you can play on or off the ball, great passer, like great culture setter. Um, you know, I, I think he's his mid-range game is going to be able to work more there as well. Like I, I think he's he's the guy to me. I mean, Green has this amazing physical upside, but I don't think he's ever going to be like a high level of defensive player. So if you're really talking about making a good team, I think Cade enables you to build your team so many ways. Uh, Troy Weaver has certainly, shall we say, gotten creative in that aspect already, <laughs> which which that kind of gets you into whose rebuild you, you like the most. And this The question was yeah. young cores. So, I mean, I think, but then OKC also has all these picks going forward. So does Houston. Um, if I had to pick the, I would probably go with Orlando last. I think that's, that one I probably feel the strongest about. Then Houston, then Detroit because of Cade. And then, well, I guess, no, in terms of young course i'd probably go detroit one just because of Cade. but in terms of who i think is going to turn out the best i would probably go i might even go detroit last and i think i would go okc and houston above detroit and orlando at least as just, of now just because they're yeah. sitting on so many picks P- sitting on so many picks i think their organization just has a better idea of what they're doing and houston also is a free agent draw which these other places probably aren't yeah yeah i mean it's weird okc like we give them a lot of credit for knowing what they're doing they got but they they drafted some some interesting players so we gotta you know yeah part a lot of, of it part of it yeah. is being able to hit on the draft right which they they did like gangbusters when sam Presti first got there in the last few years has been kind of interesting yeah, that's true. And you know, I think a lot of this is what you think of Josh Giddy too. He's another kind of controversial player. Uh, but also, we'll just see what happens in next year's draft, right? If one of these four teams gets Wembenyana, then it's going to be them, right? <laughs> that's, that's, you, you can answer this uh, pretty easily there. Which of those, which of these teams do you have the most faith in organizational? Between Detroit, Detroit, Houston, Orlando. Okay. So I, I still, I still go OKC there. I, I just think they have the yeah. best idea of what they're doing from an asset management. Uh, perspective and inevitably like they gave themselves so many outs in the draft that even if even if they even if they draft below average they have so many picks like they're they're gonna hit on some of these guys right so yeah or you can just make a trade as well you know i mean that's that's the other thing to just like if they wanted to be a 50 win team tomorrow they could probably make a trade and make that happen yeah so uh i get i guess i, I have more worries about uh the other organizations like to Detroit, the big picture stuff, they mostly have done right, but they've kind of stepped on other rakes along the way. You know, the Bagley thing's a perfect example. Uh, Houston, I think they they understand the asset picture and the and the value and, and trading and whatnot. You kind of worry about what's going on there day to day and if they really have that. Like, you just get the sense that, say, OKC is like a much tighter ship. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, culture-wise, uh, you know, within the team. And like, you know, I, I think... It, hopefully they can make a step forward it's interesting you know steven silas uh was actually able to reform his staff with the guys that he wanted you know kelly eco your colleague at the athletic reported on that so that you know the whole coaching organization thing is interesting culture wise i think yeah i think the houston front office knows what they're doing for tina it's always a question mark when you like when it comes time to pay but we're all four of these teams are so far away from that i don't think you can put that in too much exactly and then orlando you know they i mean you look 
like Bancaro, Wagner, Carter. Like, that's nice. But they just, I just don't know how they come up with good guards. Uh, they don't have a lot of picks. They they have, I mean, they have a clean cap situation. They still have the Chicago pick this year. So it, maybe, maybe they come into it that way. But I, I guess you, you still look at these this core and wonder how it's going to get to a place offensively where where it's a top 15 team. Yeah, that, that's a, a big question mark. And yeah, I think I like probably, I might like OKC's coach better than all these guys too. You know, when they've actually tried, they've been like a top half of the league defense the last couple of years. So, and I think Troy Weaver does largely a pretty good job of identifying talent, maybe the best of any of these. But I also think that his understanding of how to build a team and like the cap and stuff is maybe the weakest of all these he's definitely good for one just complete head scratching big man signing per season yeah yeah and then the uh you know that the Hayes pick not working out set him back too yeah although again it's not like there were other great players in that range that they passed on I guess it well Halliburton I guess would have been the one uh, yeah. but they weren't alone in that so but at every I mean the Stewart was a good pick at 16 Bay was a good pick at 19 and they affirmatively traded for him too which was uh yes. in kind of a weird move they gave up a bunch of seconds for that and and luke Kennard, but that that worked out and they took the right guy i think at number one although we don't know that for sure yet in cade and i think you know duran and ivy we'll see uh, on those guys but everyone seems to like that so uh i base it a lot on what i saw from duran and ivy in summer league i i really like i had seen them during the college season so i was like okay i like these guys but when i saw them out there in summer league against other nba players it was like oh okay Yep. <laughs> yep. This is going to work. Uh, okay. So what's our final ranking here? I went uh, OKC, Detroit, Houston, Orlando. I will go the same. Okay. Well, I can't believe we reached consensus. This is like one of the hardest questions that I've been coming across for a while. So hot off the press from Maybelline, New York. It's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. All right, you want to pick the next one here? Yes. Okay, this is kind of an interesting one. What if the 17-18 Lakers had made no trades and kept Randall, Lonzo, Ingram, Zubats, Kuzma, KCP? Uh, they, had, they had Jordan Clarkson, Brooke Lopez. <laughs> like, they, they had some good players. Josh Hart. Uh, what, what, what happens there? Okay, so they still sign LeBron in the 2018 offseason is what we're talking about here? I think we got to assume they, st- they still sign LeBron. Like, you, you got to make the moves to get LeBron if he's coming, right? Right, like they're right. But yeah. If you but, but, if you don't yeah. if you don't do the Davis trade, if you don't trade Zubats for Mike freaking Muscala, um, if you if you don't make some of these other moves that uh, that uh, the the Lakers did, yeah, Lopez would have been a free agent. Um, so I so think he assuming... had. I think he had to go to to create the room for LeBron. Yeah. Well, so are they holding although, on to? Although yeah. Milwaukee signed him for a minimum. Uh, I think it was the BAE, but enough where they had full okay. board rights on him, they could have brought him back and still afforded LeBron very easily okay. if they had wanted to. Do that but also he wouldn't have become this brooke lopez there like he because he was not a good defensive player until bud got his hands on him and he was playing next to Giannis. so that's he would have just
just been a guy i think you have to say like that was a seminal moment in his career so i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna leave him out of it okay. um but yeah so they still got kcp ingram that's brandon ingram not andre ingram who played two games for them <laughs> at the end of that season uh kuzma yeah so i i think they're caruso because even even like remember this too that first lebron year they're yeah. actually i think like 24 and 15 and they kicked the shit out of golden state on christmas in oracle arena in the game that lebron tore up his groin and then was never the same and by the time he came back they were done um and then oh well let's not forget this john they got the number four overall pick in 2019 that they traded for davis like that's what enabled them to make that trade what if they drafted darius garland with that pick clutch clutch guy by the way right wow yeah yeah wow that's a great one be uh i don't think they would have taken deandre hunter uh you know they probably yeah uva and atlanta both taking strays here as we talk about the lakers yeah so i I mean i don't 100 is terrible but uh yeah and julius randall they had him on the team like they could have brought him back they had him as a restricted free agent that offseason they just ended up not doing it because of the ad thing they could have easily just brought him back in they ended up they had cap space that offseason too excuse me that's part of how they were able to do the ad thing they ended up bringing in uh danny green in the summer of 2019 they could have done that anyway they would have actually had even a little bit more cap space as well we don't know whether lonzo would have stayed healthy but he would have been an awesome fit next to lebron with what he eventually can although it also worked see this is the other thing though john Mm -hmm. speaking of career transformation brandon ingram and lonzo ball are only good because they spent some time with fred vincent in new Orleans. yeah i think yeah that is a that is a great point because fred vincent for those who don't know is an assistant coach with the new orleans pelicans and he is one of the two best shooting coaches in the league, certainly, if not the best. I, I think one. he's it's, it's him, the best. It's him and Chip England are yeah. like the only two you could you could name that you could plausibly put in that category. Uh, but Fred, Fred, I think is number one. He has more confirmed miracles, I think, than than anyone yeah. else. Um, right. I, I mean, Ingram. He the first year he went the, to the Pelicans, all of a sudden he was like a, shooting like five threes a game. This last season with the Lakers, he shot one point eight three pointers per game, and Lonzo yes. shot thirty one percent from three, and his form was all fucked. So. Yes, yes. And because I, I remember, I mean, we played in LA that year. We were just letting Lonzo shoot. Like we, we were yeah. just standing there like, go, go ahead, have at it. And Ingram, you weren't even worried about his three. It was everything was just take away his right hand. Yep. No, that's exactly. I remember he could only drive hard right. Yeah. Uh, yeah he'd shown a little bit of passing chops, but you know, I don't, and he was shooting a little bit better for mid range, but I like, he's a pretty good mid range shooter. Now I think he would have kind of been, you know, average ish had that not happened. And yeah, you know, they would have held on to Zubots. They would have had him as a solid starting center i think they just would have been around like you know the fifth to sixth seed most of this time would, yeah. would be my thought i think you know ingram who knows what would have happened with his extension like but he would still be here and kuzma you know he never really they would have just had ultimately they would have just had lebron and some guys you know if you could say we got the lonzo ball and brandon ingram that they have today would have been playing with lebron okay now we're talking but i don't think that would have ever happened exactly so i, th- I think ultimately let Last year's team would have been better, but there's no, there's no way to win a championship. Yeah, that that seems right. Um, well, I guess if they had held on to Garland, I mean, maybe they'd be looking pretty decent right now. But I still think they wouldn't have one of the best young cores, and their defense would probably be kind of questionable. Yeah, okay, that's a fascinating one though. But I, I think you just have to remember. Okay, Brooke Lopez wasn't this guy in L.A. Ingram and Lonzo weren't this guy in L.A. And that that's what really they just those guys. I'm sure they would have gotten better, but they would like Fred Vincent totally 
totally changed those guys like it really you can't overstate that yeah yeah okay let's see here this is a pretty easy one what ends up happening with sexton not easy but uh simple should we say of the question i think he's gonna end up what between like 12 and 15 million a year I, he's gonna end up coming back to cleveland i mean there's no he yeah. has no plausible outs other than that so the question is does he sign the qualifying offer or does he come back on a on a deal and is it worth it to him to hold out at all to, to get the deal um you know restricted free agency is is tricky uh because usually in the free agent process agents do count a little bit on bluffing and you can't bluff in restricted free agency so if i'm an unres- if you're an unrestricted free agent your agent will come back to the memphis grizzlies and say i have an offer for from denver for 15 million dollars a year and you have to decide if the agent is full of shit or if he really does have that offer and if he does you better you know you better come up with that money too right away or you're going to lose your guy and in restricted free agency that goes away because the agent says, well, I have, you know, I have this team willing to pay us 15 million a year. And you just so, say, okay, great, bring us a sheet. And then when the guy doesn't, his credibility is completely gone and you know he was bluffing. So uh, it's it's a much harder game for, for the agents to play. And for, for that yeah. reason- Well, particularly do- when, I, when you get to October. Yeah, yeah. So you get to these staring contests and the biggest leverage the player has at that point is I'm just going to hold out. Or for some of them- it's to say I'm going to sign the qualifying offer. Sometimes that isn't even a plausible alternative. Like it depends where the players was drafted. Sexton was drafted high enough that maybe he could sign the qualifying offer, take a little bit of a haircut this year to have his freedom a year. Well, he from didn't. Now. His problem is he didn't make the starter criteria though. So he's, yes. so he's lower. He's, he's at seven. Yes, I think it's seven point two. So right. that I mean that that's really what's. I mean he's just gotten so fucked. Honestly, like I, this is I probably have more sympathy for him in his restricted free agency than based. Basically, everyone like the Cavs have been lowballing him at pretty much every step. They're offering him three years, forty million, for a guy who averaged twenty-five a game on good efficiency. You know, they built him up as this big star when they didn't have anything else, and now like they kind of just cast him to the curb. But they're not—they won't just like let him go. They want him, but they want him like they are going to lock him in basically yeah. to being like a third or fourth guard and third or fourth guard money when it's like and and he'll if he signs that like yeah okay you can get your life-changing money at 40 million like all right like that's to say hey like you just were injured last year like if you play for seven this year like that sucks like he's made about 20 in his career so far but you're just like if you sign that like you're just you're basically pigeonholing yourself as like a backup six-man style player for the rest of your career and that just sucks for him like he i I think he deserves the opportunity to at least like see what he's going to be and on this team he's always gonna be you know he's never gonna get a chance to play point guard like he's always just gonna be probably coming off the bench and it's just if i were him i would just take the qualifying offer it's very very rare that i say that i'm usually like hey get your money like take care of your family etc but he's made enough that he's not you know he won't be like hurting for the the rest of his life if he's just kind of you know but but it's just like there's no upside to taking that like he's just gonna be stuck as like their third or fourth guy they just drafted another guy at his position they got they traded for a guy ahead of him it's just like no i say take the qualifying offer because the other problem is october 1st they can pull the qualifying offer and then you just you have to take a contract that the organization wants you to sign or sit out the year and then go right back into restrictive free agency so i'd say just take the qualifying offer that would be my advice to 
him hope that the year turns out well you could maybe accept a trade somewhere too although you would lose your bird rights but that's uh you know you still would be somewhere where you could play and at least just have your freedom for next year and maybe there's a team that's willing to bring you in on you know a bunch of teams are gonna have cap space maybe they say okay we'll bring you in on a jabari parker style of deal you know one year 20 million second year player option and at least give you a chance to prove what you can be because he's just never going to have that it seems like that's a good point that he should have that opportunity there are more teams with cap space next year and there's more cap money coming online so he should have that opportunity to at least do that the the one year prove it to me deal uh for pretty good money that should be out here out there for him it's interesting because I'm, I'm going back a little, but Cleveland with Dan Gilbert, I don't know if you remember 2007, I think it was, uh, both Anderson Varejao and Sasha Pavlovich were in holdouts as restricted free agents uh, trying yeah. to get paid well, by Cleveland. And more recently, uh, Tristan Thompson. Yes. Too, although although he, was, he came in before the start of the season, but they took that into October also. Yes. And I mean, t- sometimes that's that's how it goes uh, in restricted free agent. I mean, certainly the Cavaliers yeah. aren't the only team that has seen this happen, but... This is this is pretty pretty interesting here. I'm I'm a little surprised nobody tried to drop a sheet on him. Uh, yeah, I I would have advocated he, for Detroit to do it, but then they got Ivy, so it didn't make any sense. Uh, you know, San Antonio maybe you look at it and say yeah. maybe it's this. They, you know. Orlando would have been another one. Even I mean, I think they're kind of just well. But San Antonio drafted three shooting guards in the last two years. Yeah, <laughs> right? and just, or, Orlando is kind of small guarded out. Although I'm not sure any of those small guards are actually. Yeah, you know, are any of them anywhere near as good offensively as Sexton is? Uh, man, it's uh, yeah, he, so I you're you make a uh, a great case for him to take take the QO. If the what number does Cleveland come to to make you say you know what? Okay, I'll I'll fine, I'll sign it. Uh, well, if they maybe I would consider it if they would give me a two plus one for forty million, or it would probably have to get to I don't know fifty five million guaranteed over three or well fifty million guaranteed over three would probably be it uh, I, I, I definitely I, only want three yeah 50 over three was kind of the number in my head where yeah. where you probably over say you know 15 okay. million a year yeah so um but yeah so so basically but he but he has to take that before october 1st essentially and you know who knows maybe like we don't know for sure that his recovery has gone well remember he had the meniscus repair rather than the trim i actually i'm not sure if he had this option but i said it when he got hurt i would actually have considered for him just getting the trim and maybe be like not having this great of an outcome way later in my career so i could have come back last year because he was going to get stuck in this situation and he just needed to prove himself like i could actually he's one of the rare guys where maybe it would have been better for his career just to not lose that season and you know if you have arthritis later well you know at least you're able to establish your career to begin with i don't know it's it sucks for him i think um okay what's next here i'll let you pick the next one uh so uh mac attack 145 says more a hollinger question what is the thing oh no no we did this last week we did that one okay my yeah, bad that's my why bad. that's why it's bolded <laughs> <laughs> if it, it would have been hilarious to just uh, let you answer it again and then like play both answers back to back yeah see if i could answer <laughs> it completely differently this time <laughs> Yeah, n- nothing. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I- I'm too tired to think of a funny thing that you could have said. Um, okay, oh, this is a good one. Flowers and dust. Do you see a new age ceiling for players with LeBron, CP, and Curry appearing to aim to play into their four? I still think the uh, we tend to retain the exceptions and sure. forget about all the other examples of the age curve working normally. So, right? So LeBron yeah. James is complete freak, so he's still playing. I mean, Kareem Abdul 
Abdul-Jabbar from a previous generation was a complete freak and, you know, played until he was 42 or whatever. Um, you know, but you look at other players in that cohort. I mean, Carmelo hasn't been the same player for years. Is barely hanging on. We'll see if he's in the NBA this year, right? Dwight Howard was the number one pick after LeBron, the year after LeBron, right? Um, yep. He's If he's in the NBA this year, it's as a big bit player. The number two player in that draft was Emeka Okafor, who retired several years ago. Um, yeah, like 2013 was like his last year. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at the 2004 NBA draft, the year after LeBron. Dwight yeah, Howard, I, I was, think, yeah. Andre Iguodala was, you know, barely in the league last year. And then all these other guys have been gone for a long time. I, I think CP, if unless Lou Williams gets a job this year, I think CP might be the only guy left from 2005. And I'm not, you know, 2006, I think it was maybe Millsap. I think he's gone. I don't know if there's going to be anybody that. I mean, think of the Darren Williams versus six. Chris Paul debates, right? And and how long yeah. Darren Williams has been out of the NBA. Yeah. Now, it, here's what I would add to that, too, is it seems like these guys can play forever until they can't. Like, it's not usually that, okay, they just play and they play and they play and like a de- decline by 2% a year. It's just that every year there's like a 25% chance as you get older that that's going to be the year. Now, I've been saying that about LeBron for the past yeah. like seven years. So that was probably with the math on that was probably wrong. But like let, Steve Nash is a great example, right? Steve Nash seemed ageless, just was like slowly dropping off. Like John Stockton is another one of these guys. Yeah. He's yeah. he and he and Carl Malone are maybe the two guys where it's like, okay, they just kind of slowly fell off. And then when they turned 40 or 41, it was like, okay, it's about time, even though I probably even could still play a little bit. I just don't feel like doing this anymore. But Nash was like, okay, he came to the Lakers and all right, he suffered one injury and boom, that was it. He was, was basically it. done, right? Like yeah. he'd seen very little degradation, but then you suffer that injury and it's like, oh, like my body can't heal anymore. Like I'm, this is it. I'm kind of done. Yeah. So I, I think like that can, that can always happen in any particular year with some of these guys. And I think the, the one thing I will add though, is if you're going to be one of these guys who's going to play forever, you, you got to be like a really, really smart player. Like if you like, and Steph and CP and LeBron fall into Kyle, that Kyle Lowry would be another example. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. He's another, but you know, he, even he, right? Like he barely played last year. Like, let's see what happens to him this year. Um, You know, at age 36, PJ Tucker is actually probably the one guy where you're just uh, like, how the hell is he still doing it? Um, But his role is pretty, he's when you're, reliant on strength a lot uh and actually i think like lateral movement defensively actually seems to age relatively well if you had it to begin with that's what like you can't jump anymore but you can still like slide your feet a little bit so that's maybe that's and obviously your defensive intelligence but no i think like yeah it's if you are that guy maybe it's possible but it's i think it's okay instead of one guy like that in the league now there's three is is about what it's gonna be like don't don't count on it unless you're oh and also by the way if you're one of the top 30 players of all time maybe you can play a little (laughs) well yeah you just have you just have more more decline that you can bear and still be a a, a positive player okay we got time for a couple more here over under how many is from mick stewart how many games westbrook starts before he's either benched or sent home 0.5 at this point I guess traded counts too, right? Okay. So it, this question is only interesting if he begins the season as a Laker, right? Well, uh, what do you think the odds are he even begins the season as a Laker? I think they are greater than zero, but less than 50%. I think there is su- there is some chance he begins the season because the price may just be too high to get off that number right now. And it may be easier to do with the trade deadline. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. Uh, and they've been t- 
talking about now Patrick Beverly and he had been in communication like everything everything's gonna be fine with those guys and I think we'll try to see like Russell Westbrook if he actually is gonna be humbled a little bit like still could help them some like they need guys who can dribble if he's willing to actually try and defend I don't think he has that in them but it's it's worth them at least bringing him in and trying to figure that out and as I've mentioned before I think the Westbrook trade is less about him than it is about let's see how everyone else that we got is looking and whether we might actually be able to contend if we move Westbrook and give up the two first round picks like you know if LeBron or AD get hurt or AD still can't hit a jumper or whatever it is then it's like hey it doesn't matter what we do with these two first round picks in Westbrook let's just let them expire and you know either we make another trade without toxic salary next year with these picks or we just use our cap space or whatever um so I would say the odds that he starts a game for the Lakers this season I'm actually gonna put a little bit higher I I think I'm gonna put it at I'll put it 57% that he starts at least one game Lakers. If he is not traded before opening day. No, I'm including being traded in that. Wow. Okay. Okay. Because I think there there's no deal. Like, they're not going to give up the two firsts for this, like, Turner healed thing, I don't think. Like, you can always do that at the deadline. Like, I, I think they like you were saying, like, Westbrook becomes so much less toxic. Because at the deadline, now all of a sudden, he's just an expiring contract. You exactly. don't have to pay the other team to take him. Exactly. Right? So now you can get more value for your two firsts on picks uh, and then also more guys will become available as some of these teams are like oh wait yeah we suck this year <laughs> yeah you know like so i'm uh I think there's a decent chance. Like, I could see them very easily sending him home, but I think it's a greater than 50% chance he starts the season on the roster because I just don't think the deal yeah. is there necessarily. I and wouldn't start, advise them to make that. If he starts the season on the roster, I do think he'll start opening day. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think you start him on the roster and tell him he's coming off the bench. I, th- I think you're just you're, you're just going sideways right from the word go. Um, I, th- I think it would go from starting to, you know what, why don't you just, why don't you just go home for a while okay let's see we've got one more here quickly where did it go all right this is kind of a fun one jan studebaker asks what is the least memorable nba championship team and least memorable team that made the final since you started watching basketball so let's uh, let's call it since the merger not that not that i started watching then but since the merger is any okay well actually let's do since 1980 because it probably would be like oh god i don't know the the it's got i mean the 78 bullets or whatever yeah yeah the like 44 games like um yeah all right i'll throw some nominees out there for you while while you're thinking about here the 2021 suns could be a possibility like they may just never even get past the second round again that that's a possible uh as a finalist the 2020 heat uh i was definitely going to say the 2020 heat yes uh the yeah go ahead unmemorable champions is hard but the the 04 like, pistons are almost memorable because they were unmemorable like yeah they are the, we remember them because they didn't have this one big superstar on the team yeah uh 1992 trailblazers uh, yeah i mean that team made the finals twice though and yeah won 63 games the one year that they didn't and they only but they only had one hall of famer and like another kind of like lower end all-star it was an ensemble cast so I understand what you're saying there. I mean, I, well, no, I think least memorable champion is probably 94. Yes, not the 95 shitty, team with tracks yeah. of the 94, probably the shittiest NBA season overall. The uh, Jordan retired. It was all just total beast ball. Um, it was Ewing versus Olajuwon yeah. in the finals. 
It, it was um, competitive at least, but yeah. We lost a- half of a finals game to the OJ Chase. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'd say it's the shittiest NBA season overall. That that actually could be a whole podcast on its own. 1999 sucked pretty hard. Okay, I'm sorry. The 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 shittiest non with without a labor the shittiest 82 game season. <laughs> yeah, this that's that's a, a podcast. I actually wanted to do at some point the best seasons of all time and the worst seasons of all time to actually rank them and like the, that could be a whole show on its own. But uh, yeah, I, th- I would say 94 Houston is probably your most your your least remarkable champion. I mean, may- maybe we'll look back at 2021 Milwaukee as a possibility, but I think Giannis is gonna. Uh, but Akeem was that yeah. level of guy too, um, and. Drew and Middleton were both all-star level of players and but that season that 2021 would actually be up there for shittiest season ever to me uh, as well that that would be a nominee for sure so uh and it was just such a weird weird season overall uh who, who else you want to throw is there do you, but you think 94 Houston is uh, yeah I mean as far as unmemorable like 2007 Spurs just I mean it was I mean I guess Le- it was LeBron's first finals or whatever but like it wasn't a competitive yeah. finals it was it was one of four that San Antonio one like tell me something distinctive about that 2017 you know and then we're just gonna be like i, I don't know they had duncan and ginobili yeah. and parker i mean probably like- most known for <laughs> most known for beating phoenix with the controversial suspensions uh yeah yeah that's true too yeah or like for, like for some all- of these a lot of the repeat champions you don't really remember as much um that's that's interesting because i i find it more of like hey they're more memorable because they're like everyone knows who's on that spurs team right it was tony yeah duncan and manu like then that's three three hall of famers on that team like everyone knows who's on that team but i think you retain less about what was special about that season yeah but by the way for everyone who yearns for the days of david stern over adam silver adam silver has managed to like not completely fuck up series by suspending people like where david stern looked for excuses to suspend people like adam silver hasn't done that so as much as you want to complain i I think just not ruining a bunch of series with your letter of the law interpretations like it's got to be a pretty big <laughs> count in uh silver's book i mean the, the nba's history is that they don't is that they they always they they don't proactively prevent mistakes they they react to the mistake they may made even when it's obvious that the mistake is going to be made like the, the playoff seeding with the division winners was a perfect example uh when teams were like tanking their way into the into the fourth and fifth position um and I'm sorry, taking their way into the sixth position just to play the number three because they were yeah. a division winner. Um, yeah, the Clippers did that in 06. Yeah, yeah. Per- per- perfect example. And they had the two best teams in the West. They had Dallas and San Antonio in uh, 06. The two, they had the two best records in the league playing in the second round. It's like, we, what are we doing here? Um, so, and everyone could see that one coming from a mile away. But the the league has always tended to not react until after the fact. And yeah. I think this I, is I spent- think they're doing a better job. Okay, but, okay, yeah. okay. Fair. Uh, well, all right. So, so let's, let's finish up here and answer. And- answer the question who, who is your so 94 houston that's what we're saying is our most i mean 99 if you're gonna pick a san antonio team to be in there 99 it's got it's got to be yeah the book, right yeah i mean you still do have two hall of famers up front though but everyone else on that team was utterly non-grip yes i think i think i'm gonna go 99 san antonio phil jackson would agree with me <laughs> yeah, but you're you'll go 94 houston i think i'm still gonna go 94 houston uh and, yeah and then actually just... honestly my least least memorable uh conference 
conference finals team or, or, or NBA finals team would be the 99 Knicks as well because wasn't <laughs> Ewing was hurt he didn't even play for them it was Latrell Sprewell and Marcus Campy were the Allen, two best players Allen Houston yes yeah yeah and they somehow beat uh Indiana in the conference finals yeah and and they were the I mean I guess they're memorable because they're an eighth seed to make it but when you actually think about who is on that team and just like and they're just, they're the worst yeah. conference they're the worst NBA final with that that Cavs team is probably number two 2018 Cleveland is also underrated like a terrible final team yes absolutely like plus, that's if you want to talk it was about the, it was the fourth year in a row of that matchup so everyone's just like oh. yeah but everyone knew Cleveland had no chance and Kyrie mm-hmm. was already gone that's probably actually the most I, I mean I guess it's memorable just because it's LeBron's last year in Cleveland and he had and the, like an and the J.R. Smith play yeah the J.R. Smith and LeBron had just an unbelievable playoffs until he broke his hand uh, after game one yeah yeah all right well we still have a billion of these left maybe we'll see what happens over the next two weeks or so here but uh, we can potentially even do another one of these and also react to the news that's happened over time but thanks so much for subscribing to us here you can also catch us on spotify live at three eastern noon pacific on wednesdays and subscribe to read john's work at the athletic or get my podcast we're still doing about four episodes a week actually in this content desert over at dunked on prime if you never listened to that give it a shot a link to that is in the show notes as well and john i'll be back in a couple of weeks we'll talk to you all then Hot off the press from Maybelline, New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. 